0: In about five or six minutes, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, answering the question of the title of our lesson today. It's Easter, So What? But first, I want to tell you a story that I read several years ago about some monks who took a tooth from the Buddha from one country to another. And that tooth was considered one of the sacred relics of Buddhism. It's now housed in the Buddha Tooth Relic Temple and Museum in Singapore. Now, I've heard that there is some question of its authenticity. But when it was announced that that tooth was coming to Singapore, more than 60,000 donors donated 45 million dollars and 595 pounds of gold to build the temple. Now, there is a competing <laughs> tooth from the Buddha at the Temple of the Sacred Tooth Relic in Sri Lanka. You ought to just get online and search for those. It's amazing what they build to house a tooth. But I tell you that to make sure that you are very clear that if anyone finds a tooth or any other remains of what can be proven to be Jesus Christ of Nazareth, We will not build a temple. We will not raise funds. We will not have a parade. We will not rejoice. We will weep. You will find me probably over in a corner somewhere in the fetal position, maybe sucking my thumb because I will realize I have given my whole adult life to serving and propagating a lie and we'll close our churches and we'll close our Christian schools and we will go our way of all people most miserable because if they find a relic of the body of Christ then he wasn't raised from the dead and if he wasn't raised from the dead then he wasn't the son of God and then his death on the cross makes no difference to me and I am still in my sins And I have no hope for this world or the next. I'm going to repeat those last two sentences. If they ever find a relic of the body of Christ, then he wasn't raised from the dead. And if he wasn't raised from the dead, then he wasn't the son of God. And then his death on the cross makes no difference to me. And I'm still in my sins with no hope for this world or the next. I repeat that because as I was looking through my files, I realized no matter what passage of scripture I preach on for Easter, no matter the title I give the sermon, ultimately my Easter message encompasses those two sentences because that's the core of Easter. That is the so what of Easter. If Jesus is still dead, we're in trouble. And so I'm going to semi-preach these points before I get to today's sermon. Because of Easter, I know that Jesus is God's son. Romans chapter 1 verse 4, it says, He was declared with power to be the son of God, not by his teachings, not by his miracles, but by his resurrection from the dead. If he's still dead, he's not God's son. If he's still dead, the crucifixion was just about a man dying on the cross. If he's still dead, we're going to close the doors and go home because everything else is a lie. My sins can be forgiven because his death paid the price because he rose from the dead. Again, if he's still in the tomb, he's not God's son. And if he's not God's son, then his death has no benefit for me because the only reason that the death of Christ on the cross makes it possible for me to be forgiven of my sins is because he was God's son and had no sin of his own to die for. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And skeptics and critics of Christianity know instinctively how important the resurrection is, which is why it's always under attack. because they know if they can disprove the resurrection, Christianity is over with. And then also because of the resurrection, I know this life is not all there is. I know death is not the end. I know there's a resurrection day coming. I know there's a family reunion day coming. First Corinthians 15 verses 20 and 21, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So those three statements form the tripod of the importance of Easter to the Christian faith. Don't ever forget them. If we're still around next Easter and I'm still able to preach next Easter, I would imagine I'm going to say those same three things because it's the core of our faith. And the sadness is that there are preachers standing in pulpits today telling people it doesn't really matter if he physically rose from the dead or not. It's some kind of a spiritual kind. No, it's not. If he did not physically rise from the dead, he wasn't God's son, we're still in our sins. Now, let me get to today's lesson. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 58. What I want to say to you today is that the resurrection of Christ is essential to our daily life lives. I'm going to read a couple of different translations. The NIV says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The New American Standard says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The translation I memorized growing up is the King James Version. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Notice that the verse begins with the word therefore. You probably have heard uh, the old saying, If you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, back up and find what it's there for. You know, therefore is not the beginning of a thought. (laughs) Therefore is in light of what I've just said, therefore, this is what you need to do. And so what this therefore is there for is the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, which is if you want one chapter that gives you a theology of the resurrection, it's 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says, therefore, because of the resurrection, therefore, it should have an impact in your daily lives. Because of Easter, the so what in my daily life? I can stand firm in my faith. He says, be steadfast. That word means to be steady from within. It's an internal steadiness. And it's present tense. Keep on being steadfast. It means to be fixed in what you believe. It means to be firmly fixed in your convictions. Not moving off course. It's an internal steadiness of what you believe. And to me, as I was thinking about that, why is he saying be steadfast? I think he's talking about having the issue of your faith settled because it was Paul who later said I know whom I have believed and it's essential for us as believers that we know what we believe and we know why we believe it because in times of doubt and discouragement what is going to keep you steady is if you have settled the question of what you believe and why you believe it. If you're able to say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. Therefore, when the struggles come, when the doubts come, when the discouragements come, within me there is a steadiness because I know what the truth is. And if you want to know how important it is to know what the truth is, just look at our society today. Good night be steadfast within yourself know what you believe and why you believe it I always try to put and they are in your notes if you've not downloaded them please do references of that you can find probably on eBay, on Amazon at a used Christian bookstore at a used bookstore resources to help you gain some evidence to help you know why we believe in the resurrection. Because of Easter, I can stand firm in my faith, steadfast. The next word is unmovable. That means I can withstand the pressures of life because just as steadfast meant to be steady from within, unmovable has with it the idea of standing firm in face of pressures from the outside. And so as you are steady on the inside, you're able to handle the pressures from the outside. The word unmovable implies opposition. It implies that there's going to be an effort made to move you from what you believe. And so I it, it seems to me that we need to be steadfast internally before we can be, be unmovable externally. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it so that you can withstand the pressures of life. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He says, be unmovable. Don't, don't lose your anchor. <laughs> know what you believe and why you believe it and able to resist the challenges around us. Now, we are in a study of First Peter. And a few weeks ago, we talked about being strangers in a strange land, and we talked about the fact that this world is not our home, and we have different morals, and we have different standards, and we have different values, and we have different priorities, and there will be pressures that come on us to cause us to move away from those. Paul says, because of the resurrection, I can be steady within myself. I can be unmovable in face of the pressures of life, and sometimes... It's not so much an attack on your faith. Sometimes it's just the daily challenges of living. We understand that. We understand that sometimes you've had a good day if you were just able to get out of bed and get yourself presentable. You know, so, you know life is hard for people. And God wants us to be unmovable. He wants us to be able to keep our balance. He wants us to be able to stay strong and unshaken in the face of the challenges and pressures of life. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you might know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms resurrection power is available for us to help us be steadfast to help us be unmovable to help us be able to stay calm in the storms of life to stay rooted and grounded in god when the pressures come be steadfast be unmovable the third thing that difference easter makes is because of easter i can live my life for God always abounding in the work of the Lord and as I hit that phrase man I went all over the place and since I went over all over the place I'm going to take you all over the place too okay stay close (laughs) but uh, we're going to come back I think it'll make sense when I get finished hopefully because this is where I want to spend some time today always abounding in the work of the Lord My mind went to Mark 16, verse 8. In fact, it was one of the verses that I thought that maybe I would preach the whole lesson on today. That says this, this is after the women are at the tomb. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's an Easter verse you don't hear preach on much. (laughs) Trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Uh, We're going to come back to those three words. Trembling, bewildered, and afraid. Three unusual Easter words. But let me give you some historic background that may help understand that Effect that the resurrection had on them. There was a Jewish blessing that the rabbis prayed every morning, and part of it was, Blessed art thou, O God, for not making me a woman. Because women were second class citizens before Christ came on the scene. You may remember that there was a separate court of the women in the temple, they were not fully able to participate even in the community of faith. And and I want to encourage you sometime to read the Gospels specifically looking for how Jesus dealt with women. With compassion and respect, he elevated the role of women in the first century. And by the way, true biblical Christianity has done that everywhere it's gone. True biblical Christianity has always lifted the role of women in its society. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that we can trust the eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because if Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing a made-up story to somehow try to prove to somebody that Jesus really was alive when they knew he wasn't, they would not have included women in the story. If they had, it would have been just a passing mention because it was an embarrassment for the disciples to pin the account of the resurrection on the testimony of women. Unless, of course, it was actually true what they were writing And if they were really concerned about truth. Because, see, in the first century world, women were not trusted to bear important news. If you had something, a message you wanted to get to somebody, you did not send a woman, you sent a man. Women in the first century were not trusted as witnesses in a court of law, They were not involved in any kind of important deliberations. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus, who lived at the same time as Christ, writes that even the witness of multiple women was not acceptable in court. They weren't allowed to be messengers, they weren't allowed to be witnesses. They would not have been given the task to be the witness to the resurrection they would not have been given the task to send the message to the men. But the fact that these eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about, I was scared out of my mind and I was hiding in a room somewhere, and the women had to come and tell us, shows the accuracy and authenticity of their eyewitness accounts. Because again, if they're writing a fiction, the men would have been the heroes. The women would have been at best secondary characters. But you read the story of the resurrection. The women are central. They are front and center. The angel appears to them. The angel says, you're the ones to go give the message to the men. And in fact, Luke is honest enough to record in Luke 24:10 when the women came back to the disciples, these words seemed like nonsense to them and they did not believe because they were still in the old school, and they still weren't used to trusting women to be able to give them a message, and so they had to go find out for themselves. And by the way, if you read the Gospels, there are at least five women mentioned by name who were involved at the tomb. A lot of times we just think there were a couple. No, there were at least five, maybe six. So these women, who all their lives And for generations preceding them have been told, you can't be a witness in court no matter what you saw, no matter if you were there. You can't be a messenger of news no matter what. Now an angel appears to them and says, you are witnesses to the greatest miracle in history. And you're going to be the messenger to take it back to the disciples. No wonder they were afraid no wonder they were trembling and bewildered because this is new stuff to them so let's look at those three words trembling, interesting word it has with it the feeling of an anxiety because you don't think you're capable or able to do what's been called of you huh incapable or unable to fulfill the responsibility you've been given that's what the word trembling means the word bewildered the king james uses the word amazed is that this is so overpowering that you've got this mix of emotions of wonder and fear and then the word afraid doesn't mean fear it's the word for reverence or awe so it's like these women looking at each other, saying, wait a minute. We've been given the responsibility to be the witnesses and the messengers? I don't know if we can do that. And I'm not quite sure what we're witnessing to here. You know, there had never been something like this. But the awe of saying, we get to tell this story. The angels have told us We get to be the first ones to know, and we get to tell the story. Matthew's account, Matthew 28.8, says the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And that word afraid has with it the idea of, I'm not quite sure I'm supposed to be doing this, (laughs) but yet they were filled with joy. And in verses 9 and 10, they meet Jesus, who tells them, don't be afraid. Oh, I love that. That's one of the words for Easter. Fear not. Don't be afraid. You go tell. You go tell my brothers. I'm headed to Galilee. I will meet them there. So I want to apply those. If you've not applied them yet to your own life, I want to apply those words this Easter Sunday. Trembling. The idea that I don't have the ability to do what I've been asked to do. I feel unable, I feel incapable. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe on the job, maybe at home, maybe in a relationship, maybe in your walk of faith. I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I can handle this. Yeah, you can, because of the resurrection. Are you bewildered? <laughs> Ever been bewildered? Why didn't God say yes to my prayer? Why didn't this work out? Why are all these challenges coming my way? Why is it that it seems like I take one step forward and then get knocked two steps back? I'm bewildered. Easter says, even in the midst of feeling incapable and feeling bewildered, you can have joy. They're not mutually exclusive. See, I've come to believe that if you don't ever feel overwhelmed by what God has called you to do, maybe you've not heard everything God's called you to do, because he tends to kind of stretch us. But again, sometimes it's just the daily living of life that causes us to feel, I don't know if I can do this. How many times have you heard yourself say that? I don't know if I can handle one more day of this. I don't know if I can do this one more time. But the good news of Easter is that emotion of feeling incapable or unable and the emotion of being bewildered and confused can coexist with the joy and the awe of knowing the risen risen Lord, the resurrected Lord is with me. And that resurrection power is available to help me face whatever i need to face i would love to be able to tell you that easter does does away with everything that will cause you fear and trembling but it doesn't but what easter does do is fill us with the power to be able to face the fear and be obedient anyway i know that in myself i'm unable to do what i'm called to do but yet i know i can do all things through christ who strengthens me So back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I can live my life for God. Always. That word means faithful. Consistently. Always. Abounding. That's doing more than expected. I heard somebody say one time, I just want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. No, God wants you to abundantly have an entrance into heaven abound more than expected more than conquerors you know there are things that are conquerors and there are things that are more than conquerors I remember decades ago um, I don't know if preachers are supposed to know this or not but but I, I remember I think it was the first Ali Fraser fight that Frazier won and the picture on the cover of Sports Illustrated was Joe Frazier's face, swollen, battered. And, and the headline was something like, the battered face of the winner. You know, He won, but I don't know that he was more than a conqueror. But then you've seen fights where the guy wins and he's dancing around the ring and doing all kinds of, he's more than a conqueror. God wants you to be more than a conqueror. He wants you to abound to be able to do more than expected in the work of the lord the word work there is the ordinary word for work it's it's just living your life the work of the lord is every kind word you speak it's every smile you give it's every word of encouragement you share It's every good deed you do. It's every cup of cold water you give. It's everything that you do to the glory of God. It's every time you do a job to the best of your ability. Every time you go above and beyond to help somebody else. Every time you look out for someone else. That's the work of the Lord. And the risen Christ is with you to help you always abound in the work of the Lord. And again, in Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I want you to know for yourself that power that raised Christ from the dead. Because of Easter, I can live my life for God. And because of Easter, I know my life matters. For as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, you know, because of Easter, there's some things we know. I've told you before that the Greek language in which the the New Testament was written is a much more accurate um, language than the English language. It has two words for know. One is to know something because you've experienced it. One is to know it by faith. That's the word here you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We don't know it yet because we've not experienced that, but we will experience it. And intuitively, we know that our life matters because of the resurrection. Our labor has made a difference. Our life has not been in vain. Sometimes you feel it has been, right? Sometimes you think, am I doing any good to anybody? But Paul says, because of Easter, Your labor for God matters. And you know that instinctively, intuitively, by faith. You know what I do matters because Jesus is alive. And he uses the word labor here. Different word than the word work. The word work is the ordinary work. The word labor, you may remember, I think, the New American Standard called it toil. Because this word means hard work it's work with trouble it's work to the point of exhaustion (laughs) you remember your first few days on your job how excited you were oh man i love it i love it and then all of a sudden (laughs) the reality kicked in and work became labor you know and all of a sudden it's hard work that's the word here work to the point of toil work to the point of exhaustion hard work and let's be honest sometimes it's hard to do the work of the lord sometimes it's hard to be kind sometimes it's hard to put someone else first sometimes it's hard to listen sometimes it's hard to pray sometimes it's hard to hold on but the easter promise is when we get to heaven we will rest from our labors revelation 14 verse 13 said that's the word here i I personally believe we'll work for god in heaven but it won't be labor it'll be our joy to serve him as an act of worship but the labor uh we leave that when we leave this earth but my life matters your labor is not in vain and i know and and i know sometimes on the job it's like why am i doing this You know, the the person that's not doing anything is getting all the credit. You know, why am I doing this? And sometimes we feel that way as we live for God. But Paul says, no, no, no. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And that word means foolish or empty or ineffective without value. Nah, your labor has value. Your hard work has value. What you do for God matters. It's the promise of Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing and due season we will reap if we faint not. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord, in union with him, in dependence on him. Somebody said this is the sphere in which we work. Birds fly in the air. Fish live in the water. We live in the Lord. And all we do in his name will not be useless, will not be futile, will not be in vain. Again, the promise of Hebrews 6, that God will not forget your work and labor of love. Where faith comes in, which is why Paul uses the word "know" by faith, is that we can't and won't know the difference we've made till we get to heaven. But know this, Because of the resurrection, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's Easter. So what? I can stand firm in my faith. I can withstand the pressures of life. I can live my life for God. Even when I'm trembling and afraid, I can have joy. And I know that my life matters. It's not in vain you really are making a difference so therefore because of the resurrection my beloved brothers and sisters be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the lord that's so what father please encourage us with your word please strengthen us with your promises it has been such a difficult three years and we just desperately need that easter hope we desperately need the power of easter life is is challenging and we need your encouragement we need the assurance of your presence we're so thankful That we serve a risen Savior. We're so thankful that because you live, we can face today, we can face all of the tomorrows because we know that you are with us. And so, Father, may Easter be more than food and Easter bunnies and candies and all the stuff that takes away from the main lesson of Easter. And may we live the power and the reality of easter and may we hold on to you and hold on to our faith and may we be able as opportunities arise to appropriately let other people know how much god loves them and how much jesus cares for them and that because of his death and resurrection they too can be forgiven and they can know the joy of knowing you personally And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and give you his peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. Happy Easter. You're dismissed.